Passport Transport, your auto transportation company. Contact PassportTransport.com with your need today. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to NSPS Radio Hour. This is your host, Kurt Sumner, joining you again. Glad to have you with us today if you're listening live, and glad to have you whenever you're listening, if you're listening to uh, to a tape, or I guess we don't do tapes anymore, but to a link. Um, so it's always, always good to have our audience with us regardless. Today I have with me um, somebody I highly respect. Uh, not that I don't respect a lot of people, but this guy in particular is somebody that I, I hold in high esteem just because of interacting with him over time and his demeanor and his and his intellect and all those things. And I, and I hope that's not too big of a uh, an introduction, Glenn, but Glenn Thorough is, is somebody that I do highly respect, and I really appreciate you being with me again today, Glenn. Well, thank you very much, Kurt, for your kind comments. Glenn and I have known each other now more years than I can count, but then that's part of being old. It could have been two years ago, and I'd probably forgotten at this point. <laughs> but Glenn and I have known each other a long time, and he's been very active in, in the surveying societies, and particularly in in New Mexico, and also in NSPS. Um, I guess you were with us back in the days when we still had NSPS governors, right? That's correct, Kurt. I started out as a governor, uh, and just as the transition was being made into the director, uh, I uh, had put in five years, and I wanted to uh, allow others to participate so I thought it best to step aside, uh, and the time had come. And uh, so in that regard, it was a very uh, intellectually challenging uh, endeavor being part of NSPS, and I grew exponentially because of my involvement with the organization. Yeah, that's that transition is an interesting thing, and it's difficult to to determine if there's a if there's a, a better way or not. Uh, because we get, we do really get high quality people uh, coming into our leadership, and I think for the most part, I may have mentioned this on the show before. I think for the most part, most of the people that come in, as originally when we had governors and now directors, um, most of them have been in the leadership of their state society, if not all the way to president. And I think most have actually been president of their society. Um, I'm probably one of the few who never did that. I, I became an NSPS governor back in the 80s before I was ever into the upper-level leadership in my state. And I've, I've said somewhat uh, jokingly that I think they may have done that so I wouldn't ever be president. But anyway, that's, that's okay. But it is a great organization to be involved in, and, and the reason it is is because of great people, uh, a, lot, a lot of good people to work with. I certainly concur with that sentiment. Uh, I met and still uh, maintain friendships with quite a few individuals uh, in NSPS. It's a high-caliber uh, organization, and I was—I'm uh, happy to be part of it still, even though I'm no longer a director. Right, and and actually, later in the show, before we end, uh, we talked a little bit before the show started, Glenn and I. And, and one of the things we do want to talk about a little bit is is the Certified Survey Technician Program, with which Glenn has been very much involved uh, in 
in a lot of ways, and one of those ways is through the the um, the education outlet that we have for for CST CST Learn, um, and we can talk about that at any point that you want to, Glenn. But certainly, we if that's what you want to touch on on the end, that's that we can do that then. But you're welcome to talk about it any time. Well, let's save that towards the end of the broadcast because I do have uh, uh, quite a bit I want to say this morning concerning uh, the two articles that I wrote, which you were kind enough to uh, place on the NSPS uh, newsletter. And I think it's very, very important that uh, the surveying community appreciate uh, some of the dynamics that are occurring uh, in terms of uh, regulation and licensing, and also fighting unlicensed practice. The, uh, there are two different articles written at two different time periods, yet they're interrelated in a very important aspect. And I think you need to consider both of them in terms of where the profession is right now vis-a-vis -vis licensing and where it might go in the future. So that's why I've, I've basically wanted to, uh, well, I certainly appreciate the opportunity uh, to uh, talk with your listening audience in that regard. Yes, as a matter of fact, um, something came to my attention just recently that's along these same lines, not specifically necessarily um, for the, the, the gist of your articles, but um, there just came to our attention recently of... Um, an effort or maybe an edict or whatever the case may be where the governor out in South Dakota is trying to simplify things in terms of business and has come up with an idea for basically uh, allowing people to just come in South Dakota and work as a licensed professional, uh, particularly surveying and engineering, I suppose, uh, without a license in the state as they file for getting reciprocity if that's a, a possibility and the NCWS is, is concerned about this as are we and a lot of other people just because of where it, you know what the next step might be you know this is this the camel's nose under the tent so to speak but it kind of goes along with what you're talking about it's it's not quote unlicensed practice because they're talking about people who hold a license somewhere but it sort of ignores the fact that there's a reason each state has a licensing structure Right, and that that is part of the same argument, if you will, that's that's occurring at a national level, as well as within individual states. But before I say anything, I I ought to preface that my comments do not necessarily represent the uh, licensing board in the state of New Mexico, as some of your listeners may know. I am on the uh, state board of licensure for engineers and surveyors. And my comments are mine and do not necessarily reflect uh, the Board of Licensure or, for that matter, for the National Council of Examiners for Engineers and Surveyors. So any fault that your listeners find in my arguments are mine alone and do, uh, should not be attributed to uh, either of those organizations. Um, but if we could, uh, I wanted just to make a, a quick uh comment um, about the first article, The Fight Against Unlicensed Practice, um, which I uh, wrote in November of 17, and it 
concerned some changes we made to the uh, New Mexico Engineering and Surveying Practice Act, and that's requiring an affidavit in order to um, function or act as a business entity within the state of New Mexico. And this is true not only in New Mexico, but other states as well, that are following the NCWES model law. There's a section in the model law. It's actually 160.10 general requirements for certificates of authorization. Now, we didn't adopt this full provision in the model law because it is somewhat restrictive. And one of the reasons that we didn't adopt this uh, in mass was that it requires the Secretary of State, um, when you register your business entity with the Secretary of State, that the licensing board within that state has to basically vouch for you and say, yes, they can register uh, as a professional business entity within their respective states. That's what the model law called for, but we weren't ready to go there yet. But we had a problem. And that problem was that individuals were offering surveying services uh, within the state of New Mexico, and the when they were challenged as not being licensed, they would point to another surveyor or, uh, and say, oh, well, he oversees all of our work. Well, in New Mexico, you can establish a partnership with just a handshake, uh, which was surprising to me, but that's the case. And sole proprietors and partnerships do not have to register with the Secretary of State anyway. So whenever the board would go after an individual for unlicensed practice, that individual would simply point to some other uh, individual, a licensee, and say, well, he oversees the work, he's our partner. And uh, there was nothing to substantiate that. So we felt as a first step, what we would do is require an affidavit. And this affidavit simply says, I am the surveyor of record for this company. And when that affidavit is on file, when we get a complaint against a company, the first place we're going to go is look to see who is the surveyor of record by this affidavit. Uh, for the particular business entity. It's hoped in that way that we can uh, be able to cut down uh, on the amount of unlicensed practice that's occurring in New Mexico by adding a degree of accountability. So that was the impetus behind that. Uh, go ahead. I was just going to say, um, the people you were talking about who said this particular person who holds a license is, is our our licensee of record, so to speak. Were, were the people who were making those claims actually just sort of independent satellite groups of people who were out doing work and having somebody stamp the work? That's right. In my view, and again, this is my view, this is a betting unlicensed practice. Uh, and typically what would happen is this. You go out, perform a survey, and then you go find a surveyor for a percentage of uh, the fee to stamp your work. And that's a betting unlicensed practice because the key here has got to be who is in responsible charge. Right. So what we want is the person who's in responsible charge must take uh, accountability 
for anything that is done by any business entity offering surveying services in the state of New Mexico, and this affidavit identifies that individual. So we know uh, precisely uh, who is going to be held responsible for any work that's done under that. So a licensee, you know, you might say, well, some of them are going to stamp it to work anyway, and it doesn't matter whether they have an affidavit on file or not. But this actually establishes the, let's call it the business nexus between these companies and the individuals that are uh, being identified as the surveyor of record. And hopefully that's going to add a degree of accountability that we've not had in the past. Uh, Will it solve the problem totally? No. Uh, Like I said uh, in my preface to the uh, article, I was quoting the slogan of the U.S. Army of Special Forces. It says, the difficult we do immediately, the impossible takes a little longer. So this yeah, that, is we're, we're about at break, Glenn. We're 10 seconds out. So um, let's go do that. We'll come back. I want to pick up on that, that uh, slogan that you were talking about, and I have a couple of other questions. So we'll be right back. Sure. Field books. There is a difference, and the difference is made in the USA by family-owned and operated Bogside Publishing in New Hampshire. For over 38 years, the family business has produced the finest, most durable, rain-resistant, and most affordable field books in the land surveying and engineering industry. Demand the best from your supplier, Bogside Publishing Field Books. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800-438-0387, or go to quickstake.com, that's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Glenn, as you were talking about this situation and what's happened there in New Mexico with regard to addressing it, uh, I guess the, the few thoughts came to mind. One was perhaps we as licensees uh, tend to allow ourselves to believe that's not really happening where I live, um, or maybe we just aren't um, astute enough to see what's going on around us to know that it is. But but the, you mentioned responsible charge requirement and the accountability side, and then basically penalties that can be uh, placed toward the licensee, maybe more so than the people who are 
doing the actual work because they're not licensed. Uh, and some states have penalties for that, some don't. But I was just curious about it, how old, how that all you in your look at this did you did you find information that helped you to see whether this might be happening in other places? And even if you didn't, um, maybe talk a little bit about that that whole element of responsible charge and and perhaps our as professionals uh, inability to see it in front of us. Well. Again, I can only comment on the actual cases. I haven't done a quantitative study as far as the prevalence of this in uh, other states. I believe that it is more more it occurs at greater frequency than we might imagine. Uh, simply that, and and again, in answer to your question, it's not so much the people that are doing the work, although in New Mexico we can go after them as well. I am more interested in the individuals that are abetting this unlicensed practice because these are actual licensees. Uh-huh. Uh, and it, I think it depends on from state to state to state and the makeup of the boards of licensure, how they're operating within individual states. But in New Mexico, it is a problem, and this problem has gone on for years, and we're finally taking some remedial action to try to correct this. But I should mention that this kind of dovetails with the second article that I wrote and the reason that they're interrelated, and that's uh, regulation and licensing, whether we're protecting the public or simply... Uh, we're putting an unnecessary burden on free enterprise, and it's a balancing act. Uh, it has to be. You know, the uh, this is this affidavit uh, is a p- new piece of legislation, and it was crafted in response to a problem. It's not a solution looking for a problem. And uh, you know, as I mentioned before, in uh, New Mexico, if one of the partners uh, has to be a licensed surveyor, there is no formal apparatus that establishes that partnership. As I mentioned, it can be just a handshake. So, again, we're this is a problem, and what we're trying to do is craft a solution to the uh, to the problem. Um, but so, we, just other, out of curiosity, were you seeing when you're talking about? Problems? Were you, are you talking about problems in terms of the quality of the work, the accuracy of the work? Um, were those the types of things that you were seeing, or, or is it more of a problem just practicing without proper supervision or licensure? Both. Uh, okay. the, uh, when we looked at some of the uh, class that we would look at uh, from certain firms, uh, and this is this is over a number of years. I've been on the board for about a little over five years now. What happens is that the quality of work is not what it should be because the surveyor who actually signed and sealed the plat was not in responsible charge, uh, but sometimes I think it might be worse if they were, and this was the product that resulted. Right. Uh, so I'm not sure which way to go on that. But here's, here's the balancing act between the two, because if we look there right now, there is a, I don't want to call it anti-licensing, but that's almost what it is. 
on a national scale, there is a lot of uh, resistance to occupational licensing, and some of it is, is justified. If we look back in 1950s, uh, about 1 in 20 occupations within the United States required some sort of license. And if you think what a license is, a license is permission from the government to do a certain trade, to earn a living. Well, today, we've gone from 1 in 20 back in the 1950s to 1 in 4 now. And the pushback is really becoming evident, uh, particularly over the last uh, two years. Uh, there are organizations that feel <clears throat> that licensing requirements have gotten out of control and that is simply a detriment uh, to uh, free enterprise within the United States. So what we have to do is anytime we're going to propose uh, any kind of legislation uh, as, as a board to the legislature, we need to be able to substantiate that legislation uh, as being in the public's interest uh, because the groundswell, it seems to me right now, is that uh, decade after decade after decade, more and more unnecessary regulations have been added on uh, to the licensing requirements, uh, and that this uh, has been an absolute detriment. And, of course, what I think of from three years ago is the North Carolina Board of Dental Examiners and the Federal Trade Commission. And I think many of your viewers or listeners are familiar with that. Uh, but the Federal Trade Commission uh, put a restraint of trade uh, suit against the North Carolina Board of Dental Examiners. They were uh, saying that teeth whiteners in the mall were practicing dentistry and ordered them to stop. Well, the Federal Trade Commission came back and said, no, you guys are market participants, and what you're doing is essentially restraining trade uh, to the detriment of the public rather than protecting the public. So obviously there was uh, two sides to that story. But I think that uh, basically typifies the direction that licensing, anti-licensing uh, laws are working towards. Yeah, that was a, a, a very interesting statistic you just mentioned when you said one in four activities are, are now requiring a license. Um, and is the, is the maybe you don't know the answer to this question, it's just something I'm curious about. Do, do you, maybe I should just ask your opinion. Do you think the rise in um, licensing more activities is related to, um, obviously it's to some perceived necessity, but is, is it in any way tied to a, a revenue generator for the, the state? I mean, when I, when I look at, and again, this is just my perspective, so it may or may not even be true, but you know, when I look at the number of surveyors, for example, in a, example, in a particular state, and what it might cost to operate a licensing board, uh, with the pretty small number that we have, it's hard to believe that adding on licensing is being viewed as a moneymaker. <laughs> but, 
but but I don't know. I, I don't know if you've discovered anything like that or not in your research. Well, um, if it, it the the purpose of the of licensing board should not be uh, a, a revenue generator for any state. I mean, obviously, I agree, I agree with that. <laughs> now, whether uh, certainly. Uh, it sometimes works out that there are balances within states. That was true in New Mexico last year, but the uh, legislature relieved us of that burden by sweeping all of the money out of our account. But what I'm getting at here is that uh, you have a lot of lower-tier occupations, and I'm not saying that in a derogatory sense, but uh, there is an... Uh, a study out by the Institute of Justice uh, called License to Work. Uh, it was a national study on the burdens on occupational licensing. Um, the first one came out in 2012. And again, Kurt, if we get towards a break, just tell me to be, uh, just hey, we, got to know. we got about three minutes left before this one, so go ahead. Okay. So the Institute of Justice is one of a couple of organizations that are working doing studies on the occupational licensing, and they looked at about 102 uh, what I'll call, uh, I don't want to call them lower skilled, but essentially they're lower paying occupations. And 102 of these occupations were studied, and the Institute of Justice came up uh, with some very startling statistics about this and about some of the things you have to do to qualify to get a, uh, a state license, uh, such as uh, hair braiding uh, or things of this nature, sometimes you, the states require that you get certification as a cosmetologist or but things of that nature. So the question is, why would you have to go through, let's say, 2,000 hours of training if all you wanted to do was braid hair at a mall? So you would think, well, surveying and engineering are well above that, and yes, they are. But the problem here is that you have national organizations like the uh, Institute of Justice and uh, ALEC, which is the American Legislative Exchange Council, uh, that are writing, suggesting legislation to state legislatures to counteract this problem about growing occupational licensing. What can happen is that they can be written very broadly, and so broadly that they ensnare occupations that were not originally contemplated by the authors of the legislation. I think Arizona is a good case in point, and perhaps on the other side of the break we can uh, discuss that uh, in a little bit greater detail. Uh, but the governor there, um, Governor Doug uh, Ducey, um, Matter of fact, he referred to state licensing boards as that dark corner of state government. Wow. That's, so you, you, you can see what the trend is. Yeah, yeah. And, and you can see, you can understand um, both sides of it, so to speak, because, you know, again, going from 1 in 20 in the 50s to 1 in 4 now, uh, you have to think there may be some, for lack of a better term, overreach there. But at the same time, you don't want to get everything caught up in the fervor to 
uh, to undo an injustice, so to speak. So maybe we can pick up on that a little bit when we come back from break, and then let's do talk about that Arizona case too, and um, as we carry our conversation forward. So we are ready for that second break. So we will be back in just a couple of minutes. Quick Stakes. Does your survey supply dealer have Quick Stakes? If not, demand that they start carrying Quick Stakes. Did you know that Quick Stakes are better for your back than your local chiropractor? Lightweight and easier to use than the old heavy wooden stake. Order a sample today and prove it to yourself. Quick Stakes, your back-friendly steak. This is Lawyer Liz. Join me each week as we discuss drones, the Internet of Things, and all the technology in between. It's Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, Wednesdays at 2. Bogside Publishing. For over 38 years, this family-owned New Hampshire business has manufactured the most durable, rain-resistant, and most affordable made-in-the-USA field books for the land surveying and engineering industry. And Bogside Publishing is still doing it today. Demand Bogside Field Books from your supplier or go to bogsidepublishing.com for a list of exclusive Bogside dealers. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. As we were going to break, Glenn... And I were talking about the, uh, again, not to as a derogatory term, but a different level of service, I guess, and and whether or not it's really considered a professional service. And and I guess when you look at the licensing, and obviously you've done that better than I have I, but for us in surveying engineering field, we we look at licensing as a professional activity, but that's really not a necessarily a criterion is it for licensing obviously it doesn't have to be considered one of the professions no because as i mentioned the 102 uh low-income occupations that they looked at uh covers a whole panoply of activities that we uh, might say well they're not really professions but you know it's not our it's not our place to say what is and is not a profession exactly. although yep. Certainly, there have been some criteria that are applied, uh, a need for education, uh, a need for experience, uh, you know, so, but, you know, getting a bad haircut is different than getting the property boundary wrong. Right, so, exactly. So, my, my concern here is that some legislation may be so broad that it's going to begin to ensnare uh, higher levels of professionalism, including professional engineers and professional surveyors. So rather than say, oh, it can't happen, I look at what's happening in other areas, such as our neighbor to the west here, Arizona, uh, and Governor uh, Ducey. And uh, matter of fact, in his latest uh, uh, address, to the uh, Arizona legislature, which was about two weeks ago, uh, he, he mentioned that, uh, and this is a quote from his uh, State of the State address, for decade after decade after decade, red tape has been added, and for too long, no one in government ever stopped to ask why. So this is a question, whenever 
our board in New Mexico contemplates any kind of additional requirements, we have to ask, why are we doing this? And you mentioned revenue producers. Well, that cannot be a reason. The only reason we can justify this, and it's certainly not to protect uh, fellow practitioners, the only reason we can justify any regulation is that it further protects the public. But the balancing act then is, are you protecting the the public or are you protecting yourselves? Because the FTC has already said you folks are market participants. So it is a balancing act that sometimes it's it's a very fine line to walk. And here here's an example. When I used to go up to the state legislature here in New Mexico, I would often be taken to task for uh, <clears throat> the quality of surveyors or the quality of surveys that were being performed in a certain legislator's district. And I knew it was coming because his constituents would complain to him. And then he, in turn, would turn around and say, what are you doing about it? Well, so, okay, we're we're trying to tighten up the uh, laws that govern surveying in New Mexico. We're trying to increase the quality of surveying in New Mexico. So we introduced specific regulations. But then the other side of the legislature comes back and says, what are you doing? You're inhibiting free trade and free enterprise. So you see that balancing act that you've got to walk because you want to make sure that you're doing things that are going to protect the public, but at the same time, you don't want to introduce regulations that's going to inhibit, uh, in some people's moments, the free price system that's operating in our great country. So it's a tough, sometimes it's tough. Do you hear any discussion when you're having those types of conversations? And I'm asking this question because sometimes I hear these types of things. And um, when we're talking about our licensing boards and we're talking about, um, as a professional, quotes, turning in someone uh, that you've, you feel or know is doing uh, improper work or imp- having, taking improper actions. And uh, the argument always comes back, well, the boards aren't really fair, they're not balanced, they're, they're not non-biased. Um, and I, I don't know if, if that perspective or perception comes into this argument anywhere or not. But even among other surveyors, you know, somebody will say, well, they got that guy because he had a northeast bearing instead of a southeast bearing, but the other guy caused a lot of harm between his client and neighbors, and they didn't do anything to him. Do you hear anything like that at all? Well, there are, there are obviously different levels uh, of uh, breach of... Uh, the breach of fiduciary, not fiduciary, uh, but a breach of professional standards. And there are different degrees of that. <clears throat> Did I transcribe a, a distance, maybe uh, maybe a bearing? Sure, that's a technical violation of the minimum standards. That's treated far differently than someone who has simply surveyed a fence line and property's been conveyed based on that survey that had no foundation as far as deeded uh, properties, uh, things of that nature. 
But when we look at a case, we don't, I mean, we, it's totally redacted. I don't know who the complainant is. I don't know who the respondent is. All of that is redacted. So it could be anybody. And we have to judge it based on its merits. So we do encourage, you know, yeah, for surveyors to, um, matter of fact, they're obligated to when they have seen that uh, the minimum standards have been violated or some sort of uh, professional responsibility has not been fulfilled, so the standard of care has not been exercised, that they are obligated to bring this to the board's attention. But again, they, the complainant, in this case it would be a surveyor, is redacted, so I don't know who filed the complaint. The respondent, who is going to be the person who their complaint was lodged against, I don't know who that is, so we're going to look at it simply on the merits. Generally, you find minor things are easily corrected, no harm, but sometimes great harm is done, and so it is necessary to weigh the particulars of each case and uh, do what is necessary in order to protect the public. Well, that's essentially where we're at on that. In in talking, and, and I know you've been really active in in, in CWS, and, and, and one of the questions I was going to ask was, did this come to NCES uh, through that North Carolina case to start this discussion, or was that already ongoing? I think I think that's uh, what really brought it to the forefront for NCWS. Uh, and they wrote uh, an amicus brief uh, on the air of uh, licensing professionals, licensed professionals, uh, when this case was heard before the Supreme Court. They tried to uh, show that licensing was a very important component. Matter of fact, my understanding, I, I listened to a webinar a couple of weeks back that was actually put on by the National Society of Professional Engineers, uh, who are also concerned about this, uh, that the Institute of Justice actually contacted Jerry Carter, who's the executive uh, uh, director of uh, NCWS, and asked him some questions, which he answered about why it was necessary to have educational requirements, why it was necessary to have experience requirements, why exams were necessary in order to obtain engineering and surveying licenses. And from what I understand, the Institute of Justice uh, pretty well understood that and, and basically said, okay, we see that. Now, right. again, I go back to these these broad-based legislative efforts, while that while may being good in, uh, good intentions, may sweep up occupations that uh, weren't originally contemplated. Again, going back to Arizona, let's look at geologists. Uh, they are no longer. They used to be a requirement to be a licensed geologist in Arizona to do certain things, and that's basically was swept by the wayside. Uh, along with some other things, uh, I think uh, professional uh, assayers, uh, which you might think, well, okay, that's kind of an anachronism anyway. But but you can see there's an upward trend towards uh, deregulation. And 
the question that many legislators are asking themselves, uh, can you have less regulatory alternatives to full licensing? Uh, in some, some areas I've heard of self-certification, where you basically say, well, I'm qualified to do this, and then apparently the marketplace is left to determine whether that's true or not. Well, that can be a disaster. So I was going to say that sounds a little dangerous to me. It is. And, and of course, the difference between certification and licensing is quite distinct, where licensing is granted by a state, uh, in order to perform a particular activity or profession. Certification is more or less of a peer review uh, that your fellow practitioners recognize you as being competent in a particular area. So um, the other concern, they've done some studies that licensing certainly raises cost to the consumer, and that's, that's a given. It does raise cost to the consumer, but this, some of these studies are saying that they don't see any increase in quality based on licensing as opposed to non-licensing. And again, these studies are, are focusing on those 102 lower-paying occupations, but you can see how this might be translated upwards into higher-skilled uh, professions, such as students. So it's just a concern and something that has to be monitored on a regular basis. Right. We're about a, a minute out before our last break, but that, that last point you brought up, I think, is a very important one in terms of looking at the different levels of what the activity is with regard to licensure certification or neither. Um, and some some... Some things have more uh, have the ability to be more impactful for good or for good or ill than than do others. And so, when the conversation starts and it's just a general conversation, um, then I, I can see where it's easy for people to just get caught up in the whole conversation itself, rather than focusing on okay, what what does this particular license protect, or how is it uh, serving the public? Maybe. More so than something else over here, and, and you know, you mentioned some some uh, activities before. So we're we got to go to break. Let's come back. I want to pick up on the CST thing whenever you're ready, and then we'll follow up with the rest of what we're talking about. Field books. There is a difference, and the difference is made in the USA by family-owned and operated Bogside Publishing in New Hampshire for over 38 years. The family business has produced the finest, most durable, rain-resistant, and most affordable field books in the land surveying and engineering industry. Demand the best from your supplier, Bogside Publishing Field Books. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Quick Stakes. Does your survey supply dealer have Quick Stakes? If not, demand that they start carrying Quick Stakes. Did you know that Quick Stakes are better for your back than your local chiropractor? Lightweight and easier to use than the old heavy wooden stake. Order a sample today and prove it to yourself. Quick Stakes. Your back friendly steak. 
Bogside Publishing. For over 38 years, this family-owned New Hampshire business has manufactured the most durable, rain-resistant, and most affordable made-in-the-USA field books for the land surveying and engineering industry. And Bogside Publishing is still doing it today. Demand Bogside Field Books from your supplier or go to bogsidepublishing.com for a list of exclusive Bogside dealers. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And we're finishing up with, with Glenn here in our last segment today, and thank you for, for joining us, Glenn, because this is certainly a topic about which all of us need to be aware um, and perhaps concerned, uh, but certainly we need to be aware of it so that we can be looking for uh, examples of where uh, we we may think there's some harm coming to our profession or the, and, and or the people we serve. So it's it's important to have these kind of conversations. I when we were on break, I I just made a quick comment about uh, if there was news with regard to the Arizona case in terms of how far down the road that is. And I guess a follow up to that is: Have you heard of other states going to the to the extent that Arizona has so far? Um, yeah, I don't think Arizona Arizona is necessarily finished. Uh, I believe in the state of the state of drought uh, that uh, Governor Ducey mentioned that they have eliminated 676 unnecessary regulations out of Arizona statutes um, for an ec- uh, economic benefit of uh, about 48 million dollars in, in tax cuts. Other states see this, and certainly Arizona is not alone. Uh, I think that there's a growing prevalence in, in many states as state legislatures look for ways to increase economic activity within their state, and they look at licensing laws as a detriment to that increase of economic activity. You know, and I mentioned uh, the uh, American Legislative Exchange Council and the Institute of Justice, but they are not alone. Other organizations like the Heritage Foundation, Brookings, uh, Kaufman out of uh, Kansas City, uh, they are all taking up this uh, particular aspect of uh, economics. And so I think it is nationwide, and I'm using Arizona simply because, not to make them a whipping boy by any sense, but they have the most substantial uh, endeavor in this regard uh, that I'm aware of, of all the states. So um, we'll just see where it goes. Incidentally, for any of you listeners who want to go to the uh, Institute of Justice, they can download that full report. Uh, The original report was done in 2012, and they've updated it now. Uh, I think it was November of last year, 2017, they've issued the second edition of this uh, License to Work report. It's some very interesting reading, and it also ranks all of the states as far as the amount of uh, regulatory burden uh, that are placed on uh, licensees. I think New Mexico wasn't too bad. They came out 16th uh, out of those 102 
occupations that required some sort of license. Uh, New Mexico, 65% of them uh, were necessary in New Mexico, and I think overall we ranked ninth in regulatory burden on uh, occupations. States will vary. I think Arizona was number four, and so that's why Arizona is kind of getting some focus here. Right. I understand that. And it's going to be interesting to see um, this thing I mentioned about South Dakota when we first started talking uh, is being promoted as as a boost to economics for the state uh, by the by the governor. And it's going to be interesting to see how that one plays out as well. I don't I haven't seen yet anyway any uh, that this is tied necessarily to the same um, premise that that the Arizona case is or the others, but uh, it'll probably tend to work its way in that direction because it's of the way it's being presented, I think. Sure. And and not to open up uh, an entirely new topic, but you look at that uh, Geospatial Data Act, uh, Senate Bill 1253. I mean, the opposition to that is much along the same lines, that it's a detriment to uh, free enterprise and that it's a protectionist legislation. So I know there's two views on that, uh, just as there is on licensing requirements. So there's quite a bit going on in this whole economic uh, stimulus area and as far right. as what are detriments to economic growth. And as a matter of fact, I had written a, another note down that came back to mind when you mentioned the Geo- Geospatial Data Act. And uh, in, in some cases, it's it appears that the argument... Uh, against licensing is, uh, for lack of a better term, I'm going to say technology-driven, but what I mean by that is because of the level of technology that we have now, there seems to be uh, those who would put less emphasis on the importance of of the licensing side and having activities that are performed by licensees, and of course we here at NSPS are big, big believers. Um, in the Brooks Act, and so um, we've been dealing with that geospatial data act all along. But you're right; it is it is another example. So very good. Um, if I could just take whatever time we have left, and I just wanted to mention a few things uh, to your listeners about CST program and the Learn CST site that. Uh, it's been almost four years now that that site has been operational. One of the things, and again, this ties into economics, that I have noticed over the last couple of months is a real uptick in inquiries about CST. And I believe the amount of the exams that are being administered has increased as well. So the Learn CST site, uh, again, um, is a great, great tool for uh, individuals seeking uh, to get certification. But I also wanted to point out that more and more companies are realizing the benefit of having CST certified personnel, and I'm getting more and more inquiries as to how companies can set up CST training programs within their organizations. So... I think this is due to the economic in, uh, uptick that we've wit- witnessed over the last year. 
I think that when the president introduces his uh, $1 trillion infrastructure project, that we're going to see even more uh, interest in having personnel CFT certified. One of the things that I wanted to mention from the Learn CST uh, site is that we're going to remain focused on supporting trainees all the way up through certifications, either the initial level one certification or two and three, and then possibly even CST level four. Um, we are committed to uh, continuing this effort. And when I say we, I'm talking about myself and Alan Cheese uh, with Spatial Media, you know, the publisher of American Surveyor magazine. Um, but one of the biggest challenges is going to uh, keep the training materials evolving and keeping in step with the exams. And uh, we're going to introduce a, a new platform uh, this quarter that's going to uh, be a little bit more easier to use, have uh, a little bit more uh, material available to our prospective students, including the use of videos. So uh, I think there's a lot of good things in store uh, for the Learn CST site, and uh, we want to uh, continually work to develop it. And that includes bringing in other experts who might be able to talk about specific topics uh, within the profession, within the industry. So there's a lot of good things in store, and we hope to be able to, again, introduce this uh, during uh, the coming quarter, uh, this quarter, if not this quarter, the next quarter for sure. Right. You know, that's kind of interesting, um, talking about uh, CST and, and just the technician uh, base of, of individuals to begin with, but that's one of the things we've seen as we've gone to the uh, school counselors associations. Um, they they look at what we're talking about in terms of a career, not only just for those who will become licensed, but they see some people are better suited and and have more interest in following a path through the technician uh, path to, to their career. But the, the counselors see that and say, yes, we have, we have kids who are, maybe aren't going aren't to go somewhere and get a degree, but this is, a, this is something they can do, and your program gives them an opportunity to demonstrate their capabilities. Absolutely. So we're really so, encouraged by that. Right. And we're excited about it as well. Um, because I do believe it's going to become increasingly important as we uh, go through this year and well into 2019, as I mentioned, for a number of different reasons. One other thing I'll just mention, I'm, uh, we're partnering with the California Land Surveyors Association for a webinar on April 11th. Uh, that'll be coming up, and we're really interested in working with the folks out there in California on getting CST up and operational there, and we hope to be able to point out some of the benefits uh, of the CST program to the particular situation in California. So there's a lot going on. I would just tell your listeners to stay tuned. If they're not familiar with the Learn CST site, it's there. It's just www.learncst.com. 
uh, just go explore. You can create an account at no charge and see what's there and see what's beneficial for your people. We're always ready to help set up training programs within companies. Um, just drop me a line. If you don't mind, Kurt, I'll give them my email. It Absolutely. Is, it's Glenn, G-L-E-N, at landlinks.net, or you can use my uh, CST uh, email as well, and that's going to be glenn.thorough at learnsgst.com. Excellent. You know I'm going to I'll give you something to think about. We've got a minute to go. I had a conversation recently with somebody who was talking about why can't we have a CST module that, that puts itself toward mind surveying. And uh, I thought that's kind of an intriguing thing to me. <laughs> but, so I'll just leave that out there, and I've talked to the CST board a little bit about it too. But I, uh, it, it brings up another, perhaps another opportunity and certainly a place where I'm sure it could be used. Well, absolutely. I mean, you think about mining and drones, drones inside of mines. Uh, you know, there's there technology is opening up so many different possibilities. The learning curve gets steeper and steeper. We have to stay up with it. And one of the ways we're going to do that is by keeping our uh, technical personnel up to date through things like the Learn CST site. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much for being with me today, Glenn. It's been great to have you on the show. We've had a great conversation about a number of things, and as always, it's wonderful talking with you. Well, thank you for the opportunity, Kurt. I really appreciate it. Look forward to seeing you maybe at NCWS this year. You're in Nevada, are you not? Well, we are going to be in Nevada, so you're going to be there. All right, well, I'll see you then. Okay. Take care. Excellent. Bye-bye. Field Books. There is a difference, and the difference is made in the USA by family-owned and operated Bogside Publishing in New Hampshire. For over 38 years, the family business has produced the finest, most durable, rain-resistant, and most affordable field books in the land surveying and engineering industry. Demand the best from your supplier, Bogside Publishing Field Books. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Your auto love and investment demands the best, and for 45 years, Passport Transport has been meeting those demands. 
From manufacturers to the one-car collectors and all other facets of the auto industry and antique auto hobby. The first and the finest with unequaled service and peace of mind. Passport Transport, your auto transportation company. Contact PassportTransport.com with your need today. Passport Transport. This is Peter Wallace, inviting you to listen every Sunday morning to Day One with inspiring preachers from America's mainline churches on America's Web Radio 